Our guest is the author of the classic book, The Wonder of Boys. Stay tuned for a very special conversation with Dr. Michael Gurian. This episode is sponsored by By Heart. Babies need to eat. And whether you breastfeed or bottle feed, use formula, combine all of the above, you need options. We wanted to let you know about By Heart Baby Formula. By Heart has a patented protein blend that gets the closest to breast milk. It includes two of the most abundant proteins in breast milk. And By Heart actually ran a clinical trial comparing their formula to a leading infant formula and proved that babies on Byheart have softer poops, less spit up, and easier digestion. Byheart is also the only U.S.-made infant formula to use organic, grass-fed whole milk. So if you need baby formula for your baby, consider Byheart. New customers can get 10% off your first order by using code ONBOYS at byheart.com. That's B Y. H-E-A-R-T dot com slash podcast, and it is 10% off your first order, byheart.com slash podcast. This is a limited time offer, and additional terms and conditions may apply. This is the On Boys Parenting Podcast. We are your co-hosts, Janet Allison of boysalive.com and Jennifer L.W. Fink of buildingboys.net. If your kids are headed back to school, or maybe school has been in session for a couple of weeks and you are frustrated, you wished that things were going to go better this year and they aren't, how do you get him to take responsibility? How do you end the homework battles? Our friend Amy McReady at Positive Parenting Solutions has the survival guide for you. This is a quick course that you can take to get the tips and tools that you need to make this school year run more smoothly than any other year in the past. Go to boysalive.com school and you'll find all the details there. This is an evergreen program. You can join anytime. The information's there waiting to be shared with you. That's boysalive.com school. Amy McReady's Back to School Sir Thrival Program. On this podcast, for years, we've been highlighting places where boys and girls, men and women, approach the world very differently. Communication styles, emotional responses, and for many, especially young boys, very different activity levels. Our guest today has guided us for decades to delve more deeply into the minds of boys and explore the similarities and differences between males and females. His classic book, The Wonder of Boys, is still as relevant today as it was when first published in 1996. Not to be left out, he also wrote The Wonder of Girls and many other incredible books. In 1999, after the Columbine school shooting, he began to speak out about the boy crisis. Unfortunately, decades later, school shootings continue to occur here in the U.S. And what we do know is the majority of school shooters fit a certain profile. They are male 
and they likely suffer a male type mental illness. After the school shooting in Uvalde, Texas, Dr. Michael Gurian wrote a thoughtful, thorough article entitled, What We Must Do to Stop the Killing. This examination of how we got here and what we need to do to move all of us forward prompted us to invite him to join us here at On Boys. The father of two grown daughters, Mike continues his advocacy for all children through the Gurian Institute, providing professional development and parenting support, both on-site and online. Mike, welcome. Well, thank you so much. What an honor. It's great to be with both of you. It's so great to have you here. So let's start with when you began this work and now, and how have things changed and how have they stayed the same? Okay, well, that's a big question. That's um, a big one. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I did start it back. I did start it back in the '80s. You know, college grad school time with an interest in trying to understand the science behind male and female. Because in in that era, I'm a baby boomer, born 1958, and so I'm 64. In that era in college and grad school, this thing had started where everything's socialization, you know, and in terms of male, female, and, and it was, it's an interesting movement. Obviously, there's a lot of interesting things to learn about socialization, but, but I had lived as a kid overseas, etc. And I, I knew that males were playing with males and, you know, little girls were playing with little girls and the patterns of play. And therefore I suspected learning patterns and others had some kind of biological neurobiological components. So I got interested in that. So, so, uh, you know, a lot of study, a lot of work since then. And then um, by the time we got to the wonder of boys, which I wrote 94, 95, and then published in 96, by the time we got there, one thing that, that was different than now is that there weren't any other boys books, you know, there wasn't Mm -hmm. any national, national consciousness, let's say about boys and reviving Ophelia had just come out and Mary mm-hmm. Pfeiffer and I were friends and we presented together at conferences. And, you know, there was a mass, a massive movement around reviving Ophelia and around girls. Um, and I had two girls, so I, I loved it, but there wasn't, you know, so the wonder of boys came out and initially I couldn't get it published because the publishers just said, you, you, no one wants to, to, to read about boys. No one cares about boys, you know? So one thing that's different now is that there are a lot, of resources on boys. There's a lot of consciousness on boys, including your wonderful podcast, right? And your books. I mean, there's just so much in the last uh, 26 years. So that's something that's different. One thing that is the same in a way is that we are still, like I say in that piece, we are still seeing these school shootings and we are still talking about uh, sort of ancillary concepts as to why these boys kill people rather than getting to the root of what's going on. And so the thing that's that's still the same is we still don't fully understand boys. And so we don't systemically understand how to raise them as a culture. And in fact, we're going in a lot of directions that are even worse. So I, I hope that's, that's a the, nutshell. <laughs> I think that's the part that frustrates me. I mean, my oldest son was born in 1997. So he was born a year after The Wonder of Boys came mm. out. It didn't take me too long. I was, my second son was born. I'm looking around going, I do not understand what is going on here, which is when I found your work and it helped me understand my boys. And as you said, like, there's been a lot of work done since then. To me, I'm so frustrated that I've been, you know, raising boys for 20 plus years. This information is out there. And it's like societally, we're still not 
acting on it. And so we still have this happening. We still have so many people that misunderstand boys and men and the information is there. It is. Yeah. We're, we're, um, I think we're pulled by sort of extreme forces as a society uh, on, on far, let's call them far left and far right. I, I don't know what else to call them. They're just extreme forces that sort of control public dialogue to the extent, to a great extent, a lot of the, of it comes from academe where they're still into this. There's no male, female, you know, or if there is, it's all about female. You don't, you don't really talk much about males. Or if you talk about males, you, all you talk about is a, a, t- a talking point like toxic masculinity that will be our talking point that's what we'll be allowed to talk about mm-hmm. and and these things are you know incredibly thin and they don't really get at systemic issues so when you have the academic world controlling that part of the conversation so the society that that means government and media will follow suit because government and media follow the academic world and then you know so they're not helping us solve the problems and then on the far right for lack of a better word, we have forces that are saying things that are really sort of conspiracy-ish and, and also don't grapple with what is going on with male development. And then because people on the right seem to care more about male development than people on the left, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's how it appears on Twitter, then the people on the left, you know, just fight back and say, you guys are terrible because you're on the far right. And so it's become a gender politics thing And what it should be is developmental. We have Mm -hmm. to look developmentally at what boys need, nature, nurture, and culture, and we have to give them that. But we're systemically paralyzed, I think, because of this uh, maybe political battle. And so meanwhile, we've got the parents that you're working with, Janet, and the parents that I have been in the trenches with for 20 years, and now my siblings raising kids and your daughter raising kids, you know, in their houses, dealing with their boys, going... Ah, what do I do? Yeah. So Mike, talk about, talk about male development. What do we, what do we need to know that we're not, that is not out there in the larger culture? That's that we just, if we knew it, it, we could change things. If teachers (laughs) knew it, they could change what's happening in schools. Um, yeah, another big question. You guys asked the big ones. So, so male development obviously is vast. I divide it into nat- I divide all development into nature, nurture, and culture to help us to figure it out. And none of these are opposed. They all coexist. So at the nature level, one thing that I think many parents may not know is that, that the neurotoxins coming through fertilizers, pesticides, foods, all of these, uh, these are environmental neurotoxins that affect testosterone levels. Uh, as well as can promote brain disorders, autism, et cetera, ASD. These are these are affecting sperm and egg, you know, and that then affects the genome of the child. And most people, I think, don't know this. And um, so that's one big piece of information, like Saving Our Sons, my latest book, I have a lot on that there because we can go organic, you know, and parents who are going to have kids can go organic like if possible, a year before they conceive or six months, that even that will help. And and then the issue of the testosterone levels, we have, we're at about 30% less testosterone, uh, right, for males than 30 years ago. So another thing maybe folks don't know is that really low testosterone is part of what makes boys depressed and then kill people. So we don't actually want this low testosterone. 
We want to have normal testosterone levels in their cells, but the endocrine disruptors that are in junk food, like if parents listening to this could do one thing, just cut out all junk food now. Uh, because the that endocrine disruptors easier said than done. If we have teenage it, boys in the house, let me tell you, it is, it is. I know, but you, you know, you asked me, no, you're absolutely right. <laughs> Believe me, I've, I've experimented on my own kids. Uh, and it's, it's, you know, tough to do that, but you know, that's just something that we tried to do over a period of a year of a year. Uh, we cut out junk food except for <laughs> treats that were snuck by. And then, you know, we moved to organic as best we could. So what that's really getting at is there's stuff happening at a cellular level. And I think, you know, to wrap that up, the other thing that folks don't know is that male depression is, is rampant. But um, our young males, we, it's covert. So they're playing video games. They're, um, you know, they may be struggling in school, but they're doing their schoolwork. They have a couple of friends, you know, and eh, they seem okay, but they're depressed and we don't know it because males tend to experience covert depression, females tend to experience overt depression. So covert depression, you know, then it's, then they're starting to take drugs. A year later, we realized, oh, they're taking drugs. You know, they're, they're covertly depressed because substance abuse or substance misuse is part of covert depression. So that's another big thing. And that may segue into what we'll talk about, about the killings, that male depression you know, the 10 to 20 million males we have who are depressed, but we don't know it, that is having a profound effect on our culture. Mm -hmm. I know it was eye-opening for me uh, to learn and realize as a parent that the cultural uh, connotation of depression is like, you're sad and you can't get out of bed and you're not doing your stuff. That held me back personally from recognizing depression in myself for a long time, because I mean, I took care of my kids. I'm met my responsibilities minimally, but then learning that, especially in guys, it can be irritability. It can be anger. I'm like, yep. That was a, a breakthrough for me to realize. Is that something that you hear when you work with families as well, Janet? Oh yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Janet. No, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think, I mean, this is so important to highlight that it is different in boys and men, and we need to as you were saying, you know, develop the systems, the mental health support around that and recognizing that practitioners recognize that it is different in males and how we can treat that differently. So how can we as, as parents, teachers, you know, concerned, uh, maybe grandparents, aunts, uncles, citizens, um, help differentiate, especially when we've got, you know, tweens and teens, the difference between irritability that's typical along with the ups and downs of puberty and something that maybe we need to draw to the attention of a healthcare provider and maybe even get a healthcare provider to take seriously instead of just going, well, what do you expect? He's 14. Yeah. Okay. I'll say three things. One is we definitely have to train all of our healthcare providers better in male development uh, so that they can recognize male type depression. Uh, you you have very smartly said that when we think of depression, what we re what we really think of as a culture when we think of depression is female type depression, and of course it's generalized depression. Anyone can be, as you said, sad. Yes, but we got to help them understand the distinction um, so that number two, they will be able to help us understand the anger. If the boy, if my son is presenting to me, he's fourteen, he's presenting to me with anger, you know, once in a while. Uh, that's unreasonable. 
um, you know, sometimes he's reasonably angry, but if he's presenting with anger that's unreasonable, clearly there's no, no reason for this rage. And then he isolates. So he's mm-hmm. angry, but he also, you know, part of the pattern that I'll study, and I always ask parents, study your son for, you know, or your daughter for 30 days and keep a journal and study this. Now you have a target. So then he's isolating. So then he goes and he slams his door. He's in his room. And for three hours, he's on the internet, you know, or he's texting or whatever he's doing in there. So he's angry and he's isolating. He probably is experiencing male type depression. And then if there's any drug use at all, like you got to be on his brow for a 14 year old, every parent needs to be on the kid's browsing history, needs to see if he's going to porn sites, needs to see if she's doing dangerous things in social media. I mean, this is very important for every child. Right. Um, they don't they don't have privacy at 14, you know, they have physical (laughs) privacy, but not internet privacy. So, so then you can see, okay, is he becoming porn addicted? Is he video game addicted? Because so many of these things are comorbid with that male type depression. So I would say, um, I guess that was two things, but I'll stay with that. Those would be ways to look. Then let's say I'm seeing some of those things and I go to a provider, I call somebody up and I say, Hey, I'm really worried about this kid. And I get that line. Well, what do you expect? He's 14. Um, What would you recommend for parents at that point? One of my frustrations culturally and systemically right now is that even when you have parents who are aware, who are trying to help their children. And in some cases, I mean, talking about these school shooters, we can look back now and go red flag, red flag, red flag. And we've all heard stories where there have been parents who have been trying to get help for their kids. And it's not as easy as any of us would like it to be. I like cute clothes. I like having stylish outfits and I hate shopping. Armoire makes getting dressed easier. Armoire is a clothing rental membership option. And Janet and I recently have both tried it out. And you guys, it is so much fun. You go to their website, you get to take a little quick style quiz, takes five minutes, and then you get presented a list of beautiful clothing, pictures, wonderful clothes that you can pick out and get delivered to your house for you to try and wear in the comfort of your own home without going out and determine what looks cute, put together outfits without investing a ton of money. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off your first month. That is up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash envoys. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E, dot style slash on boys to get 50% off your first month and never have to worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. One of the most challenging things about being a woman at midlife is realizing how little people understand about perimenopause and menopause, Janet. I just had a conversation with my sister about that this weekend. She is 10 years younger than me. So I'm 51. She's 41. And she went to ask her healthcare provider, hey, can you provide me some information? And she got information, but she was frustrated by how incomplete it seems, how little we know, and how for way too many people, the answer seems to be, yep, that's the way it is. Deal with it. Mm -hmm. Deal with it. 
And not only are our mamas out there having to deal with perimenopause, likely at this age, but many of our moms are dealing with their sons entering or in puberty, which is kind of nature's irony, which is, oof. Cruel joke, Janet. Cruel joke. Cruel joke. Thankfully, thankfully, increasingly, there are those who are recognizing that women need and deserve competent care and treatment for perimenopause and menopausal symptoms. And we know that can still be harder to access than it should be, which is why we have partnered with Winona. Winona helps women who are dealing with menopause or perimenopause. Winona is a collection of OBGYN health professionals who believe that your symptoms are important, real, and deserve to be taken seriously. It's telehealth. You can access care from your home when it is convenient for you. Visit buywinona.com today to start your free visit with free U.S. shipping and the ability to pause or cancel at any time. Your path to wellness has zero obligations. Use the code ONBOYS at buywinona.com for 25% off your first order. That's B-Y-W-I-N-O-N-A.com slash ONBOYS. Winona, menopause care made easy. I'm I'm on the board of a uh, foundation here in Spokane called the Kellen Cares Foundation, and it was formed, funded and formed by people who had this exact thing happen. Their son was, they knew something was going on with their son. They tried to find help and they couldn't. And this is a town of 500,000 people. I mean, it's not a tiny town, you know, but they couldn't. Yeah, they couldn't get resources. They couldn't get help. They couldn't get people who had any sort of training in male development, you know, and in and that specifically could help them understand male development. So that that's some of the people um, that's created this foundation, and 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 it's still going on. I mean, in my right. town of five hundred thousand people, I'm talking to people who have kids who are in trouble, but there are very few counselors, mm-hmm. and there are almost no counselors trained in male development. So. Um, so they're not trained in the male brain and so on. So we have to get, obviously, more counselors, et cetera. We have to get more. And then we have to get them trained in this. And um, once they're trained in this, then they are, you know, we as parents have to ask, have you been trained in this? Do you know, you know, mm-hmm. what's your history with this? And of course, word of mouth. Hopefully we're mm-hmm. asking other people who have sons who had trouble. So who did you use? Did that person understand? Boy, You know, and it's going to have to be like that for a while until until we get more people to get this male development specialty. So this is kind of the nature part. I want to make sure we get into the nurture and the culture also. So, you know, nurturing these boys, what do we do as Jen said, as teachers, as parents, as citizens, what can we do for not just our son, but his friends and the other kids in his class. Yeah. So if people go to gurianinstitute.com, you know, they'll see this, what can we do to stop the killing? Right. It'll, it'll show up on the news page and, and a lot of it's actually in saving our sons. So these are places people can go. I create, I've created a list and it's a tool for nurturing uh, and nurturing structures for parents. So a number of things on the tool. One is I mentioned already the neurotoxins looking at that. Uh, The second one is fathering. Okay, so looking at the influence 
of fathers and males on boys, especially, you know, eight to 18. So especially as they're moving into adolescence, making mm -hmm. sure they're connected to hopefully dad, but if dad is not around or, or you know, then some other male mentors, and even if dad, making sure they have a couple other male mentors, um, which will really help, um, you know, help mom in nurturing them and which provides them a, a really good pathway. Mom herself helping mom and mom understanding her job as she nurtures. And I know you've talked about this on programming because mother attachment obviously is crucial and doesn't end. So definitely want the mother attachment, but then also the mother separation is happening. Mm -hmm. So helping mom not to feel so you know anxious and uh, about the separation that the boy needs to do, the individuation. So really helping mom and mom staying attached and nurturing. School systems are another area that's profound. We have to get the school systems. I know you all have discussed um, Green Institute obviously does that. We've been doing that for about 25 years, getting trainers into these schools so that the schools are trained because the systemic failure is mainly a male failure uh, in our school systems, as you know. And But the schools that get trained, where the teachers are trained in it, they alter their classrooms and they have less mm -hmm. male failure. So parents, the parent-school connection is profound. Parents and schools got to get really well connected and around something specific, not around maybe political stuff, I stay out of that, but around this specific thing, how do we make sure the boys can succeed as well as the girls? And that means going on the websites, disaggregating the data, which is all on the school's websites and saying, oh, look, look at the girls' grades and the boys' grades. Mm -hmm. The girls are doing way better at every level. Look at the test scores. Okay, so how do we help the boys? So these are these are just four. I can keep going, but I yeah. think that's probably enough. <laughs> that's a really good angle for getting your school's attention, by the way. You know, schools are pulled in so many different directions. Uh, individual teachers, same. They're asked to do so much, often without adequate resources or staff. I mean, we all know these issues. But schools, uh, one, educators feel a deep responsibility to educate the children who are there. And they have a lot of pressure from above and from the funding systems to have students achieve. It is in their best interest to have their students achieve. And you're absolutely right. If you look at the data in pretty much almost every school across the nation, boys are doing worse than girls. So if, if parents, if you can help highlight that issue for schools, schools are motivated to pay attention because they want to get their achievement levels up. That helps them attract teachers. It helps them attract funding. So instead of just saying, hey, uh, my son hates your school, communicate it in a way mm -hmm. that it's beneficial for the school as well. And like Jen did, be on your local school board and make a difference mm. at that level too. Mm. And I did opt out of the system for a while. We mm -hmm. homeschooled for seven and a half years because it wasn't a great fit for my kids. And because that was an option at that time. And I know it's not, but uh, unfortunately, I don't think the three of us have any neat, easy solutions to hand to parents. <laughs> we have try this, try this, and this is going to be hard either way. Yeah, the thing that I can say from a data perspective does work, that is a solution, is to um, do systemic change models in schools, like pilots, so the parents maybe would fund it, or the parents, usually they can be funded by Title I or Title Funds, where the trainers go in and do a one-year program, and everyone, every teacher is trained, even the cafeteria staff, everyone's trained in how boys and girls learn differently, and then, and they take the data before, 
and they take the data after. And that we do have proof that that does work. So because the test scores go up for both boys and girls, the grades go up for both boys and girls, and the discipline referrals, which is mainly 90% boys, the discipline referrals go way down. So that affects the bullying statistics and everything else. So that one is a solution that does work. And that one, you know, boys and girls learn differently kind of lays that out. In the minds of boys, I talk about the parent-led team. And I think the parent-led team is a key and that's sort of, I'm just giving a word to what I think you're saying. I, what I beg parents to do is get together with four other sets of parents who have boys who are having trouble. And if you can't get four, get three, you know, and put together a team. And these parents sometimes don't realize they know each other. <laughs> you know, they, they, they actually know each other because they're talking, you know, or they can talk about how their sons are having these issues. And then they go into the principal, let's say, calmly, nicely, you know, go in and say as a team, Okay, so here are some resources. So look at what's happening. We've dis we've looked at the data. You can see it too. And we're willing to help you figure out how to get funding. And these models willing these to pilots, help, right? <laughs> yeah, these these cost very little to do these pilots in schools. So that is something that does work. I like that. Um, so and culture, and I want to use the segue of tech um screen time, because we know our boys are. Uh, if they don't have a phone in their hand, they're on their devices playing video games. And I know with all the parents that I work with, this is this is the huge issue. It's used as leverage. It's used as punishment. And it feels a place where parents, they just throw up their hands of like, ah, this is this is taking over his life and he's missing out on so much else. Talk about tech a little bit. Yeah, it's you're absolutely right. It's one of the profound issues of our time. So in Saving Our Sons, I kind of show what it's doing to the brain. And um, so very quickly, there are a number of things that folks often don't know that it's doing to their kids' brains. One is the fast-moving images are, are um, uh, especially as kids use tech um, younger, you know, birth mm -hmm. to 10, uh, and especially birth to five, right? So there's different eras. I divide it up into every two years as an era. Uh, it has different effects on the brain. So that's the first thing. Parents, I beg you, study the effects that that screen and the amount of time spent on the screen itself has on the brain. Then the dopamine, right? That's another effect. So what it does is it's skipping circuits and dopamine. It's flooding dopamine at times that dopamine ought not be flooded through the brain. And um, it creates what we're going to popularly call addiction, uh, and it is sort sort of addictive. It also it also creates instant gratification, and so it sets the child up for a sort of rhythm that's not not real, and um, that makes sure that the child, when the child is trying to mature, can't mature. Um, the frontal lobe can't connect to the midbrain because circuits are skipped. So the you know the five ten hours on the screen are dangerous to brain development. So that's the first thing. Then after that, once we realize that, we keep this 30-day journal and, and we go on the kid's browser history. You know, we look at that. Then we come to the child, you know, with a plan and the child is 10 or 12 or 14 or whatever. And we say, okay, here's the problem. You know, this is really dangerous for you and we're your parents. And so it is our job to protect you. So we're going to work out with you the new plan. So like they're going, no one's going to use any devices during dinner time anymore. No one's going to have any devices for an hour 
before bed, no child. And hopefully us parents too, for our sanity. It's good for no, us too. Yeah, it's good for us. No, we're going to play games more, uh, which is better for your brain. When we're driving long distance, you get to watch, maybe watch a half hour if you have, but the rest we're going to relate. You know, So then these rules, they get worked out with the child and the parents, of course, are the parents working out the rules. Uh, and matching them with the school and seeing if the school's doing three to five hours on screens at school, then the parents are going to have to titrate screens pretty much completely during school nights. No video games during school nights. That's just a cardinal rule. Um, these, these are ways to protect the brain development. So when parents understand that this is brain development is at stake, then I hope as they learn that and inculcate that, that then they you know make these changes. I ran across a great article yesterday that I'm going to put in the show notes. Um, I am blanking on the name of the author right now. It's a fellow parenting writer. And um, she tested a bunch of kind of like starter phones and wearable tech with her kids. And she has a fantastic article about after looking at these, these are, um, you know, what I recommend for different ages of kids and families. And for me as a parent that was raising kids now, you know, at the beginning of this tech explosion, it's really interesting to see um, now there are much more thoughtful devices that allow more parental interaction right. and control. And I know parents are looking for this information. I don't have it off the top of my head, but I'll put it in the show notes. Awesome. Thank yeah. You. Did that author say no smartphones until the kids are 13? No, this particular article doesn't talk about that. But one of the things she talks about is I, I know she's got kids that are younger than that. And because of the distance they traveled to school, she wanted them to have something to be able to contact her. But she didn't want to be like, hello, here's the whole unrestricted Internet. So she was looking for something that would fit into that. And there are there, yeah, are, there are many yep. more options now than there were 10 years ago, even. Yeah. Yeah. If we can keep them off smartphones, we can still because smartphones are dangerous for them before 13 or 14. But but they can have those sort of analog phones or the phones that allow the communication, but are not smartphones. So we started this uh, conversation around school shootings and mm. these boys that are likely have male type depression. So okay. in your article, what we must do to stop the killing, we've got, okay, we've got the nature, the nurture, the culture. What about guns and you know we're yep. not going to solve that problem and it's definitely a political legislative issue but what about boys and violence yep yeah so a lot of the boys who get depressed right and and uh they've been traumatized so it could be by lack of father attachment lack of mother attachment it could be abuse it could be you know they, they've been traumatized so we need to be trauma informed and realize that so, so they've been traumatized, they have these other causes, and they're depressed. So when we understand this male-type depression, we're going to immediately understand that you, you don't want to give a depressed male a weapon. Because a depressed female with a weapon, she probably won't use it. But a depressed male with the weapon, uh, you know, the AR, will probably use it. And, yeah, and uh, or is more likely to use it because that's how his brain is set up. It's set up differently than her brain. And for the most part, with our with our mass shooters, we're talking about young men 
whose frontal lobes have not yet fully matured. Like impulsivity is a huge issue for young males in a way that it's not for a 60 year old male. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The frontal, the connection to the frontal and the prefrontal is a lot of what this discussion is actually about and trying to remove things from boys' lives that are going to stop them from maturing appropriately where gradually they're connecting the midbrain where emotions are to the frontal and where impulses are to the frontal. Um, right. And also helping them, training them to be more frontal and they, they're a year and a half, two years, can be three years behind girls in closing the distance between the emotive centers and the frontal. So the frontal, for anyone who doesn't know, the frontal is where impulse control happens, right? It's where self-regulation happens. It's where things get thought out, executive decision-making. And so we want that. But a boy who's depressed, um, a boy who's been traumatized, he's even lower on the scale yeah. of frontal connectivity and boys are very, you know, objects moving through space. The right side of the male brain is really obsessed with objects moving through space. And then testosterone is a high aggression chemical. So, um, you know, you put all these this package together and, and you make them depressed and we're more likely to have them kill others or kill themselves. Then that will never change. We're never I'm going just... to see girls do this the way boys do because the brains are set up so differently. Which is science and fact and millennia worth of experience and yet somehow we've managed to create a culture where it is easier for our depressed not yet fully mature boys to get a gun than it is to get mental health care right <laughs> you, you hit it, it it just makes me want to pull my hair out but that won't help anything no, you've hit it. Uh, and none of us, I don't think, are anti-gun. I'm not anti-gun. But gun safety protocols are crucial. And and every state, I hope, will pass these things that, that you know, the Fed did a little bit. They Congress passed some things and said, OK, let's do this. And some of the states, like New York, some of them said, let's do this. Let's, let's have background checks. Let's have some psyche valves. You know, let's give more money to mental health. Um, so I think that's a good direction. But yeah, we're not we're not there yet. Right now, America is gun obsessed and young boys can be gun obsessed. And then without the frontal connectivity, then, you know, it's a recipe for pain. And I want to be clear. I want to underscore what you said. I am not anti-gun at all. I live in a house that has guns. My husband hunts. And because I also live with young adult males, they're locked up. Right. They're locked up because they seem fine to me. And I don't think that anybody's depressed. I don't think, but I don't know a hundred percent. They have friends come over. I don't know. So I feel like one of the things that we can do as a society, as parents is uh, make things a little bit more difficult. <laughs> don't make it so easy for anybody to get something where they can hurt themselves or others in what might be a moment, it might be a lasting moment, but let's let's not make it easy. Well said, Jen. We've got to start with our homes. We've got to start where where we live, and then hopefully, as you know, we talk about legislation and all the things can expand out into the culture. I want to just touch on toxic masculinity because we've talked mm. about that often here on on the podcast, and would love to hear 
your thoughts about toxic masculinity and how I, you know, along with that, I always think of, I've seen these young girls walking around with t-shirts on of, of, you know, the future is female. And it, it just, as Jen said, makes me want to pull my hair out. It's crazy. The messages that our boys are getting. And again, they're on the internet, they're getting the social memes and all of the, all of the messages. Jen, I sent Jen a, um, a bumper sticker on a car that said no airbags we die like men wow okay. no airbags <laughs> so that's kind of like i mean that's men. sort of an example of what some people call toxic masculinity like this whole i don't need this um you know wow no airbags that's you interesting die like men. well okay. yeah you know i i'm kind of a. Uh, I'm definitely a middle of the road or on toxic masculinity. So I don't use the term myself and I'm not, I'm not involved in that um, kind of what I would say is an academic approach came out of academe to try to, to fulfill the, the, the sort of second wave feminist concept that we, we, we are feminists and what we say about women um, we therefore have to be experts in men too. So how can we be experts in men? Well, what we have to do is we're into the sameness concept. We don't think we can have equality unless men and women are the same. So we need to remove, you know, masculinity that has to get removed. Uh, we have to, you know, so this actually has a history to this, right? That's, it's academic mainly about started about 50 years ago and it moved through. And the latest the latest place we saw it was um, a couple of years ago with the American Psych Psychological Association that put out, you know, said, OK, here are now the guidelines for therapists in working with males. Males are, are toxic or masculinity is toxic. So you have to get rid of it. And what does it mean? Well, what is it? Well, what it is, is they want power. They're aggressive. They're stoic. And I forgot the fourth one. Uh, so, you know, a number of us, including probably you guys, you know, we responded to that, especially us in the field, the psych field, you know, we responded and said, okay, hold on a minute. Uh, nothing's wrong with aggression. Nothing's wrong with being stoic. Uh, nothing's wrong with hierarchy development. You know, these are all, these are not toxic. What are we really talking about? And is that really the job of therapists to try to get men to not want to succeed, to not want to be aggressive? To, you know, okay, so what was underneath it? Well, what they were doing is they were saying that aggression is the same as violence when it's not, right? Aggression is very healthy and we all want to be aggressive. It's very uh, healthy. Elaborate on that a little violence bit because, Janet, bad. we know that that is something that moms especially get confused mm -hmm. on. You know, aggression and violence, if I see uh, my son behaving in any way that I think is aggressive, I feel so many moms like I have to stop this because it will turn into violence. So can you elaborate on that difference for, yeah. for parents who might yeah, not because understand? Because the concept of toxic masculinity, then it, you know, and all this leads to violence because because of toxic masculinity and masculinity is itself inherently violent, all of that. Um a, a more scientific way to look at all this is that when when boys become violent, actually violent, violence is I'm trying to destroy you. So I'm trying to physically destroy you by killing you or maybe physically destroy myself by killing myself. That's violent. Or I'm trying to destroy your core self. So through bullying, repetitive bullying, I'm trying to destroy your core self. Bullying is violence. Um, aggression, 
right, is I'm trying to challenge you and I'm building resilience in you because you're going to have to challenge me back. So I'm challenging you, you'll challenge me back. We'll be in a dynamic where we'll be aggressive with each other and that will actually build resilience in you and build success in you. And one of the great gifts of males throughout history is that we are resilience builders. We operate out of testosterone, you know, so we are aggressive. And by the way, it doesn't mean women are not aggressive, but when we, you know, when we study male and female aggression, we see that it manifests differently and that males tend to be more physically aggressive and they tend to be more hierarchically aggressive. They're pushing weak people to be stronger, you know, and this kind of thing. Uh, and that's part of how fathers uh, mentor their kids through this kind of masculinity, which is aggressive. There's nothing toxic about that. That is exactly um, what was going on in my living room when my oldest was four and my youngest was two. And I'm looking around going, I don't understand this. And I found Michael Gurian's books. <laughs> that was exactly what was happening in my living room. And it really was this, you know, I'm going to challenge you and you have to challenge me back. And now that my boys are young adults and teens, right? They're brothers. So they don't always get along, but guess what? They get along yeah. way more than they don't. And yes, they helped each other build resilience in ways that were often annoying to me. Right. And it bonded them as well. Part of yeah. how males bond is through aggression. Yes. We, yes. we love, we love through aggression. Um, I call it aggression nurturance. As you know, in my work, I look at aggression nurturance and empathy nurturance and our hormonal base makes us go more toward aggression nurturance and the female hormonal base makes her go more toward tend and befriend, which is more empathy nurturance. Doesn't mean we're not empathic, but, and it right. doesn't mean she's not aggressive, but these are, these are just biological tendencies. So this, none of this is toxic and, and even stoicism learning to control your feelings and direct them. So that's what stoicism is. Now, if we tell boys not to cry, Okay, that's that's silly. I mean, who's if people are doing that now, they're not doing it because of toxic masculinity. They're doing it because they don't understand how the brain works. Um, and so we're obviously training people to say, yeah, of course, boys can cry. But when people start saying, well, we should no longer tell boys to be men, like be a man is toxic. When I hear that, I just go, where are you? Right? We we absolutely need boys to become men. Women need it. Children need it. Males need it. The society needs it. So that's why I stay away from toxic masculinity. I don't myself think it's very helpful. And I think what it does is it creates a kind of intellectual dialogue that ultimately is um, a further distress for males. And the more mm -hmm. males are in distress, the more females will be in distress. So so I stay away from it. But mm -hmm. that's that's just me. Well, and to highlight, you know, the aggression, the, the value of aggression is also that desire to protect, that desire to serve, that desire, that purpose-driven desire is part of aggression also. And mm -hmm. so it's a good thing. We want mm -hmm. that. We want to build that in our boys. Absolutely. Purpose development is crucial. And males are, we got to teach them to aggressively pursue a purpose. But we have to realize, as you all said, we have to realize aggression is not violence. Once we understand that, we'll see so many things boys do and men do as so nurturing. And um, and and we'll kind of back off and go, oh, wait a minute, that's actually really nurturing. Let me reassess my understanding of male development. And then we realize that our understanding of, to what we have, to the extent we have understanding, our understanding is pretty much male development is bad. That's our understanding, right? If it's male, it's probably bad. 
uh, that's why I don't use toxic masculinity because what I want to do is look at male development, look at his, its assets and nurture the nature of males, nurture their assets and definitely not label those assets. You know, one thing that we've said many times on the podcast is parent the kid in front of you. Get rid of all these shoulds yeah, and shouldn'ts right, and shoulds right. and shouldn'ts. And so you don't even have to think about toxic masculinity. You don't have to think about all these societal pressures. You have to respond to the child in front of you. And if you can just take that one lens that you shared, it, you know, try and get rid of your conceived note, preconceived notions of if this is good or bad or troublesome or, or good, um, just observe. And then if you can try and look at it through the lens of, you know, what might be positive out of this, what might be nurturing about this behavior, what might be, um, strength building about this, it can change the way you look at your children because I did not grow up as a boy. I did not understand so much of what my guys were doing. But once I started looking, it's like, all right, well, that is not how I would do things, but it's working for you. (laughs) (laughs) Beautiful. And, and And then go and get one of Michael's books because all of them. And I don't even know how many books you've written, Michael, but in the 20s, 20-ish, some books. 35. 35. There's a lot of books to choose from. And, you know, just the way you are ever so male, you know, it's logical. It's laid out really strategically. (laughs) It's easy to understand. Any Any of your books, you can pick up and, I mean, every page has wisdom on it and enlightenment for, for especially for moms, for females to understand not just their sons, not just, you know, the boys in their classroom, but their partners and the, the man in the grocery store checkout line. You know, you have been a, a beacon of hope all these years, Michael, that things can, can get better when we broaden our understanding. And, you know, my, my wish is that we could operate in, in the governmental level and the mental health level that we can uh, start to have more programming that understands males and male development. So thank you for all that you have done over these 35 years. Thank you too. I'm going to drop some links in the show notes. I am not going to link to 35 books. I will put a couple of my favorites in there. You can go to your library. You can type Gurian in the search engine and find all of it if you want, but you don't need to read all 35 to get a lot of wisdom. Like no. Janet said, pick one up, find a page. It'll get you started. Uh, yeah. The the latest one that is big is Saving Our Sons. I, I want to recommend that one because it's got the new stuff on digital like the Wonder Boys, as you know, that that was 1994. Right. I'm writing that there was no digital, really. So it has the latest stuff on digital and the latest stuff on all these topics. So mm. if I were to recommend one, I would say jump on Amazon or wherever and get Saving Our Sons. Okay, awesome, Saving Our Sons. And Michael, tell tell our listeners also where they can find you online besides just typing Gurian into the search bar. Yeah, um, yeah. So so our website. Our websites are gurianinstitute.com. And then my website is michaelgurian.com. So either one is probably good. The michaelgurian.com is more me, my books, all of that. The gurianinstitute.com is more the work we're doing in schools and in the public. 
Yeah. And is there a Helping Boys Thrive Summit coming up that parents might be interested in, uh, you know, Ooh. signing up for? Yeah, you know, actually, the the Boys Initiative has is sponsoring a Helping Boys Thrive online, so easy to access, and it's uh, it's in October. It's October seven and eight. All people have to do is go to the Boys Initiative or go to helpingboysthrive.org slash Boys Initiative. And you'll see the website and then the website will show you how to register and all of the people who are speaking, et cetera. Thanks for bringing that up. That's an easy, accessible way to get a lot of information from some top experts without leaving home, which can still be very difficult, especially when you're raising children. There you go. (laughs) Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been such a pleasure and a privilege. Oh, me too. Thank you both. Thank you. Privilege for me too. Let's do it again. Okay, let's do it. What a great conversation with Michael, and I do encourage you to check out that Helping Boys Thrive Summit. That's going to be a lot of great information for you. This is the On Boys Parenting Podcast. I'm your co-host, Janet Allison of boysalive.com and Jennifer L.W. Fink of buildingboys.net. Thank you for being our listeners. If this has been valuable, please share it with a friend. And don't forget, there is that Sir Thrival program that's going to help you get on track for the back to school homework blues and helping him take more responsibility. You can find all the details about that program at boysalive.com school. Check it out. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.